Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. So, all through the month of November, as pastors are wont to do, I'd been doing some planning as to preaching and worship during the upcoming Advent and Christmas seasons. But to be honest, I really wasn't feeling all that inspired. That is, until I put on some Christmas music. And yes, I'll admit it, I do start listening to Christmas music in November. And that wonderful old Christmas carol, O Holy Night, began to play. Not only was I reminded of what a beautiful piece of music that is, but as I listened to the words again with fresh ears, words that are adapted from the original French, by the way, I realized that every line of that song speaks to the true wonder and the deep meaning of our dear Savior's birth. Suffice to say that pretty much just like that, I was inspired, and the idea for an Advent sermon series was born one that we're calling on the way to the holy night. And it begins with today's message, which is drawn from these words from O Holy Night. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. It's a message based on Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7, and Romans chapter 13, 11 through 14. And it starts with some thoughts on lights, in particular, Christmas lights. At a time of the year that is so traditionally bathed in all manner of light, I've always found it interesting, and in fact quite telling, that the season of Advent and the celebration of Christmas that it anticipates begins in darkness. Not that our modern world leaves a whole lot of room for darkness, for this place to begin. Also, as I've said, being a lover of all things Christmas-related, I've also taken notice, as I'm sure have you, that whereas most people used to wait until at least the day after Thanksgiving to light up their outdoor Christmas displays, these days it is not unusual to see Santa and his reindeer all lit up and ready to glow midway through November. In fact, I've got to tell you a story. When I was up in Maine a few weeks back, and this was just after Halloween, I was driving down this backcountry road. It was coming on towards dusk, and I came around this corner, and by golly, there was a house with its yard already filled to overflowing with inflatables and twinkling lights. Too early? Yeah, probably. And too much? Well, all I'm going to say here is to each their own. Mostly, though, got to tell you, I feel about this pretty much the same way I feel about playing Christmas music early, whatever that means. I feel like it's such a short season to enjoy Christmas lights, so why not? And besides, in these times in which we live, who wouldn't agree with the sentiment expressed in another song of the season, we need a little Christmas right this very minute? candles in the window and carols at this minute. And as it goes on to say, we may be rushing things, but deck the halls again now. So I say, hey, have at it. And Merry Christmas while you're at it. All that said, though, I do also have to say that over the years and as I've gotten older, I have come to really appreciate the notion 
that where Christmas lights are concerned, less is sometimes more, right? And in the process, it makes, if you will, an enlightening statement of faith. Years ago now, back in my student pastor days, I spent more than a few December nights driving back and forth from my seminary classes to, to Holton. And quite often, because I really got tired of the interstate highway, I would drive back and forth on the back roads. And it's funny what things you always remember. There was this farmhouse, and it was up on uh, near Grindstone, Maine, on what we call the Grindstone Road. And this farmhouse was set back from the road at the long stretch of woods, and the people who lived in that farmhouse had taken an understated approach to their holiday decorating. By that I mean they'd simply strung some colored lights around this waist-high evergreen tree, and it sat there, the only Christmas lights they had, it, it, it glowed in the midst of a winter darkness. It was nothing unusual, nothing particularly special, except that this little Christmas tree stood a long way from the house and barn. In fact, it was way out in the middle of a pasture, as near as I could tell. It was at least, by my own guessing, probably a couple of hundred yards, if not more, away from the main house. And of course, that did nothing but ignite my curiosity. Why had they done that? Why wasn't this Christmas tree standing closer to the farmhouse or, or out near the barn? Had they actually gone to all the trouble and the expense of stringing an extension cord that far out? Was this a Christmas tree intended for their herd of dairy cows? Or what had been set there for the pleasure of passing white-tailed deer? I tell you, the possibilities of it staggered my imagination, friends. And I was sorely tempted to pull into this farmhouse, knock on that front door, and ask the people who lived there to tell me all about it. I thought about it a lot. Never did it, but I thought about it. And as a matter of fact, I went out of my way on a few occasions to go up that road so that I could see that tree again. And every time I saw it, every time I thought more about it, it actually began to make perfect sense that they'd put their Christmas tree way out there in the middle of this darkened pasture. They did it because this would most certainly be the spot where the brilliance of those lights would shine most prominently, piercing through the winter darkness and unalloyed by any and all distractions of the world surrounding it. Or, you know, maybe the family in that house just wanted to be able to look out their living room window and bask in the beauty and wonder of a Christmas tree off in the distance. I don't know. But for me, this little tree immediately became an Advent parable. The affirmation of a divine promise fulfilled and a reminder, a really potent reminder, that no matter how dark it may have seemed to be, the people who walked in darkness had seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light had shined. A thrill of hope and a cause of rejoicing in a dark and weary world. 
It's important, I think, to take note of the fact that this season of Advent that does begin this morning is not to be thought of as merely a countdown to Christmas. This isn't to say that these four weeks aren't about waiting and watching for something to happen. We've just talked about that with the children. And it really follows because our very word Advent comes from the Latin Adventus, which means coming. Something's coming. We wait for it. We get ready for it. But there's more to these four weeks of Advent than simply getting ready for December 25th to come. And moreover, even though Advent is certainly uh, a symbolic waiting, if you will, for the coming of the Christ child in the manger of Bethlehem, and making room in our hearts for this wondrous gift to God that was given to us 2,000 years ago, it's even about more than that. For you see, the season of Advent is also about a gift that is yet to come. It is our waiting for Christ's return in glory. And that moment, that incredible moment, when all that we have yearned for in faith and hope finally becomes a reality. When God's vision for creation comes to its fullness and it really speaks to the world and to our hearts and to our lives. As we regularly proclaim in our times of communion and will this morning, this is all about the mystery and wonder of our Christian faith that is manifest in the sure and certain promise that Christ will come again. So ultimately, you see, it's this coming for which you and I are waiting and watching and preparing. Author and New Testament scholar J.R. Daniel Kirk actually refers to this as seeing the coming of Christ in double exposure. Looking forward to the second coming of Christ in the future, even as we look forward to celebrating the first going of Christ that lies in our past. But you see, just as our way to the holy night of Christmas Eve and day begins not with shepherds and wise men or a heavenly chorus, but rather with Isaiah's promise of a great light in a darkened world, so you and I who are dwelling in the midst of our own darkness await, as the song says, the breaking of a new and glorious morn. But here's the thing we need to remember. That day, that glorious morn, it's coming soon. And very soon. For in the words of our text for this morning, the night is gone. The day is near. In truth of fact, this relatively brief passage from Paul's letter to the Romans, what Lisa just shared with us, it amounts to what the Reverend Susan Eastman of Duke Divinity School refers to as an affirmation that, quote, as Christians, we are all mourning people. Yes, she says, it's dark now, but the time is just before dawn. The sky is brightening. The alarm is ringing. Day is at hand. It is time now to rouse our minds from slumber, to be alert to what God is doing in the world and to live in accordance with God's coming salvation. What's the first thing that Paul says? 
in our passage today, you know what time it is. How it is the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation, Paul proclaims, is nearer to us now than when we became believers. In other words, we know what God has already done in Jesus Christ. We know how it will be for those people who walked in darkness and who saw a great light. And we know that it will be so for us as well. And that that light is very, very near to us indeed. We are not people of the night. We are people on whom light has shined. The ones for whom a child was born. The one who is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We are the ones who have been given salvation and the true light of life through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are the ones soon and very soon who will know the full and brilliant light of his glory. So, says Paul, as we await that moment is to, that is to come in its fullness, let us lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Now what's interesting here about Paul's advent promise of light, as you heard Lisa read this today, is that it immediately connects to, shall we say, a more ethical and moral stance in life. Let us live honorably as in the day, says Paul, or as the message bluntly translates it, we can't afford to waste a minute. We must not squander precious daylight hours in frivolity and indulgence, in sleeping around and dissipation, in bickering and grabbing everything in sight. Whoa. I mean, one thing that can be said for certain, friends, no matter what the translation of Scripture happens to be, no one can ever accuse Paul of sugarcoating its truth. He tells it like it is. The point here for us, friends, is that if we are to be truly people of light, then it falls to us now to live unto the fullness of God's promises in the here and now, so that our hearts might truly be ready for this day of wonder that is coming soon. The time for that is now. Darkness, even now, is passing into daylight. A new age is dawning. It behooves us as believers and as true Advent people to quote the message one more time that we need to get out of bed and get dressed. Don't loiter. Don't linger. Don't wait until the very last minute. Dress yourselves in Christ. Be up and about. Now that seems to me to be a pretty good way to start out on this way to the holy night of Bethlehem. And it seems to me a clear directive to live out our Christian faith in this twilight, twilight time between the darkness of these days and the not yet but soon to come great light of a new day. We live 
as in the light, even though it's still dark. As you know, there is so much that I love about this sacred season, and most especially in the traditions of worship that we are sharing together in this place. And I love how it begins with lighting the Advent candles, first of hope, next week of peace, then of joy, and then of love. And I do love, I take great enjoyment in watching from week to week as eventually, or should I say adventually, see what I did there? We have a full circle of light. And then with the addition of the Christ candle on Christmas Eve becomes the light that is passed from person to person in this sanctuary, in thanks and praise for God's light coming into the world in the guise of a child. It is one of the most beautiful and powerful times we share as a worshiping congregation. And i got to say that not only is it one of my favorite parts of Christmas, pastorally speaking, is probably my favorite moment of worship in the entire year. Singing Silent Night and watching this sanctuary go from relative darkness to one that is filled with the glow of candlelight. And I love it for a whole lot of reasons. I love it because it's the culmination of this Advent journey we've taken to get to the manger of Bethlehem. And and I love it because it's an affirmation of the gift that's being given us there. But I also love it because in the larger sense, the Advent candle and the Christ candle and the candles we share ends up representing the great and holy light that has shone into the deep darkness of life and living, as well as this glorious reminder that even even if right now the darkness seems so overwhelming that it even appears to be hopeless to us, nonetheless, the light comes. The night is far gone. The day is near, and in the advent of Christ Jesus, there's a thrill of hope as the weary world rejoices. And in that thrill of hope, a pathway opens up for us of a new and better and blessed life. Well, my friends, the light of hope is ours. It belongs to you and you and me. And it is given to us and the world. The light of hope shines. And our Advent journey on the way to the holiest of nights begins. And so let us truly lay aside the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. And let us walk together into this new day that's about to come. And as we do, may our thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, A Thrill of Hope. 
It's part of our current sermon series, On the Way to the Holy Night, and was recorded during our December 1st service of worship at East Congregational Church. As always, if you're looking for a place to worship, especially now that the Advent and Christmas seasons have begun, we would love to have you join us at East Church. We gather each and every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road in Concord, New Hampshire. And if you come, I know that it will be a huge part of making this season both merry and meaningful. I would love to have the chance to welcome you in person. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of Love to Tell the Story. This is Michael Lowry, and I thank you for listening. And until next time, may God bless you with a great day. Talk to you soon.